searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch Please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. Welcome back to the Pitch Please podcast. It's Mike here. Today I've got another amazing guest, Zeon from For the Menstruator. I'm excited to learn. I'm going to be straight up honest. I know very little about this space. I'm not even sure how this business works, but we're going to learn about that. We're going to learn about you. And so I'm super excited. Zeon, tell us a little bit about you, your role at For the Menstruator, and maybe a little bit about what here today. For sure. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. I guess I'll start off from where I started. You know, I'm, I was born and raised in Tanzania in East Africa. From a very early age, I grew up in a family in a, and in a community that had like strong values and, you know, service and giving back. And so from a very early age, you know, my parents signed me up to every volunteer opportunity that was there in my community, you know, from visiting the hospital to working with elders to going to the orphanage. And obviously growing up in East Africa, I like firsthand saw on a day-to-day the inequities that were there around me. And I started to understand like the privileges that I had. I guess it was only until though I was 15, I was in high school and I was required to start a personal project as part of my school curriculum. And I could do anything of my choice, but I was I was scrolling to my Facebook feed, actually, and I watched this really cool documentary on Al Jazeera named India's Menstruation Man. Now, similar to you, I didn't know anything about menstrual health or periods at the time. You know, I, my family, um, I don't have any, like, sisters or cousins. My mom and I would never, like, talk about this. And so uh, I watched this documentary and I asked my mom, I'm like, yo, did you know people around the world don't have access to products? And she was like, yeah, when I was younger, I grew up in a single parent household and she didn't have proper access to products. And what that meant was every time she'd get a period every month, she would use like old blankets and old cloth when as in instead of like a menstrual product. She told me so many stories about what that experience was like. And then I go online and I find out that over 500 million people that are menstruating don't have access to products. And if you do the math, that's like an average of one in 10 people that menstruate. And so that's quite a big number. That kind of inspired me to start for the menstruator and go on this journey in the last six years. Wow. It's, there's so much to unpack there, like an inspiring story. I almost, so this video clearly inspired you to be curious. Yeah. I want to come back to that video in a second, but until this moment, you said you had strong family values around understanding acts of service and giving back and being involved in the community. Did you ever think that was going to lead you to entrepreneurship? Honestly, no, but I would say like, I feel like I was always someone that was rebellious. Like I, I, I was always someone like from a very early age, I never wanted to just take the conventional path and I wanted to stand out. And I think even like in school, before that moment, I was always like prone to take, you know, leadership opportunities, work in teams, start off like new projects and ideas, do different types of fundraisers. And so I think all those different seeds were planted, made me for a very early age. But when I look back, like a lot of entrepreneurs are inspired by their parents that are entrepreneurs. But for me, like my parents were like working class 
middle class families, they would work, they'd have a nine to five and maybe looking at how much they, how many sacrifices they had to make at work. I was like, you know what, like they made these sacrifices. I don't want to live a life where I'm bound by a nine to five job. I think maybe those seeds were also planted at a very early age. It's interesting. And then so this video, let's talk about it. So you watched this video, like it just randomly came up in your newsfeed. Yeah. You're like, I'm curious of this thing I've never really understood or heard about. What was so powerful for you in the video that caused you to start asking more questions? Technically, a video and some conversations with your mother seem to have pivoted you into an advocate for this problem, which spearheaded you into entrepreneurship. Yeah. Like it, you, you became an entrepreneur without the goal of being an entrepreneur. So I want to understand this video. Like what was it about the video that, that really changed you? Yeah. So the video was about a man in India that created reusable, created menstrual products that to support, you know, menstruators in India. And I don't know, it was just like a, it wasn't even that long a video. It was just the fact that at that point, I had to ideate and come up with something for my personal project at school. And I could do anything on my choice. And so as part of that ideation and brainstorming phase, I think it was just like right timing. And I'm like, whoa, I've never heard about this. Let me just talk to my mom about it. And then I think that just, I just went down that rabbit hole after she told me that story of like looking at the numbers and seeing how big the problem is. And also the fact that I lived 15 years of my life and no one told me about this, I feel like uh, I was like, this is a great opportunity for me to do something. It's interesting. Like sometimes everything happens for a reason, right? You had your mindset with your hat on around this project that you had to do, and then you sought ideas probably in a million other spots, but like this inspired you to learn and ask more questions, which is so interesting. I want to hear your pitch on it, but before that, can you just like share a little bit about this space just to educate me and any other listener chiming in i want to make this super relevant to everyone i don't yeah. want like some bias to you know only women start to listen here forward i want to like genuinely learn and understand myself and i hope others will stick around for the rest of the episode to do the same yeah no for sure i guess to tell you more about the space you know as most people know every girl gets their period once a month and during that cycle People wear different types of products and so depending on your preference so there's you know uh, disposable menstrual products that you'd see at like a supermarket there's like menstrual cups there's tampons there's all these different products and but specifically in the space that I'm working in you know I mentioned the stats around uh, those that don't have access to products right the numbers are around 500 million menstruators which is and, and yeah. sorry just to interrupt like when you say products like the things that we're used to going to the the store for, like the grocery store, the yeah. shop, like the the pharmacy store, like the reality is in North America or probably most of the developed world, people are used to being able to go in and just purchase something, generally disposable, sometimes reusable. Yeah. There's options, but what you're saying is like, hey, open your eyes a little bit. The second you get out of some of these areas. The reality is people just use what they've got. There yeah. isn't a product for them to go get a handle on or the luxury of being able to afford or get I think product. So I think the issue is uh, affordability, right? And so okay. even so here- it's not necessarily just access, access affordability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that affordability component is, I think, the issue. Even here in North America, so in Canada, actually yesterday was Menstrual Health Day. And 
Plan Canada released a report that one in four Canadian menstruators actually wear their products for longer because they can't afford products and they have to ration. I thought that this was an issue only in developing countries, but even here in North America, in the UK and in, in Europe, like all these different countries, it's still an issue. And, and that aspect around affordability is, is, is quite a big one. For me, I look at like metro products as like a basic need for a lot of menstruators. But the fact that one, they're expensive, two, there's in a lot of countries, there's this idea of like a paint tax. And basically, menstrual products aren't considered necessity items. And so there's an added tax on it compared to like other, other basic needs, right? And so uh, when you go down systematically and look at this issue, unfortunately, you know, a lot of decision makers are men that don't really understand what a period is. And so systematically, there's, there's an issue around that too. Yeah. Now, talk to me about like, just dumb it down for the everyday listener. Like, why does this matter? I imagine there's some aspects of hygiene, some aspects of health, some a- aspects of comfort. But like, what are the what are the implications of not having affordable access or frequent access to products yeah. the way people need? And so, for for those that don't have access, there's a lot of issues. So one, we mentioned that issue of hygiene, right? And so people would use old rags, cloth, blanket, leaves in some countries in order to make sure that they don't bleed openly when they're going outside, right? And that is obviously unhygienic and there's all this research around how that can lead to like cervical cancer and so forth. But moreover, in especially the community that we worked in, especially young girls, they need to go to school. For them, they would, you know, miss school seven days a week every time they'll get their period and that will, there's direct correlation to like dropout rates, which is also related to, you know, them not eventually having employment and then being trapped in this poverty cycle, right? And so there's that. And then in some communities, we see- wow, like, Hold on, I just, I, I jump in there. It's crazy because like even my initial assumptions were like health, comfort, but you're talking about like access. Yeah. Access to education opportunities and equal opportunities at that degree like I had no idea so sorry continue on it's just like yeah a moment of reflection and pause as I learn about this here with you yeah and and then and as you go as you go further you know down the line there's community so in Kenya and in East Africa there was a lot of like reports where people that wouldn't have access to products would actually trade sexual activities with local businessmen and bike drivers in return to get products and so there's a direct correlation to like teenage pregnancy and then you see situations where, um, you know, there's, there's a whole thing about not being able to go to work. And then even the taboo around this topic, right? And, and the way, the fact that, you know, periods and menstruation is seen as something dirty. It's not usually talked about in the open. And so we've seen cases where menstruators have, there's this idea of like being period shamed. And so they've being looked at as dirty or they're not able to go to the mosque or they're not able to carry out like cook. I think a couple of years ago in Kenya, we had a situation where a girl went to school. She got her first period in class. Her teacher made her stand up and embarrassed her in front of the whole class. When she went back home, she was obviously sad and because she was kicked out of class just because she got a period. And then a couple hours later, she took her life. And then we saw a similar case in India as well. Same thing. And so this issue of like the taboo 
and the fact that it's seen as something dirty is just like a whole other thing that, that we need to talk about. It's crazy. So maybe now is right. Thank you for educating me. Obviously, this is very new and I'm sure there's questions I'm missing yeah. or forgetting to ask. So please fill in the gaps of where I might not be aware I should be asking questions. But I'd love to learn about what For the Menstruator is. Um, like all good Pitch Please episodes, Zeon, your pitch, please. Yeah. So For the Menstruator is, you know, youth-led organization that basically first produces and distributes reusable menstrual products that last for three years, 100% biodegradable and extremely cost-effective. But what we also do is we have a sustainable model of approach when working with communities in which we actually empower them with the skills to make their own reusable menstrual products that obviously leads to entrepreneurial opportunities and so forth. Um, yeah, that's my quick pitch. I love it. And so I heard a couple of things there. You talked about actually having a physical biodegradable reusable product yep. that you create. You talked about the delivery of education, maybe just as necessity or as part of your social enterprise tied to that product. But then you also talked about the ability to empower others to make product, not necessarily having to use your product. So maybe by extension, there's the education, the product, and an empowerment to go create this within local communities. In the, I, I, We're not going to be able to draw diagrams or anything, but maybe like at the highest level. Talk to me about those three pillars, both about how you got to and what you designed as a product that was different than what maybe existed out there. Talk to me about whether the education came before the product and then a little bit about what you're doing in these communities and how you're empowering others. Yeah, for sure. So I'll actually share a story on in terms of how we started and how we ended up this approach. And so when I started off, found out about this issue, I shared that story there and I went online and looked at different solutions that are out there and I wanted to do something that was sustainable. And so I came across reusables as a potential solution, looked at different online prototypes, worked with a local tailor and actually learned how to stitch. And I was able to use local materials and my initial product and my first prototype only lasted for six months. I gave it out to my friends to test it out, got feedback, iterated and developed the product a little bit. And then eventually, for my very first project, I worked with a local community of 22 menstruators and gave them these products. At that time, there was no education provided. It was the product itself. And I'd spent uh, almost one year developing this product. And then I, because it was a school project, I presented it, got a good grade, got good feedback. Yeah, I was going to ask, what grade did you get in it? I actually didn't get the best grade. Like, so it was out of seven and I got a six, uh, but I had friends that got like a way better grade than I did. Another time, like, didn't get as much traction as, let's see, other people at school that were smarter and got better, better grades. And so when I went to that first community, I was, I could have stopped pretty much at that point because, you know, I fulfilled that school requirement. But when I went back to the community and talked to them, I realized a couple of things. And so first they told me that the product itself, there were a lot of elements to it that could have been improved. The color of the product at the time was white and obviously blood is red. And so... The, when they would, because it's washable and they dry it out in the open, a lot of them were embarrassed to actually dry out these products because you could see blood, right? And it would stay, it would stay like it would, the blood could be seen. So we changed the colors of our product. And then I realized like some of the girls. So to what color? Just out of curiosity. So it would, now it's like a dark red. And so you can't even see the blood stains. 
And then we realized, they told us that some girls didn't even have access to underwears. And so in order to wear the product, you need to like put it on an underwear. And so now in our packages, we actually include underwear as a whole package. Some of the girls didn't have soap. And so we include a soap in our, in our packaging. Um, and then there were elements around, you know, the fact that when they go to school and they wear the product, you can only wear the product for around five hours. And so if you have an eight hour school day, you need to like change the product. In order to change it, you need a bag to put like the ones that you use. And so now we include like a waterproof bag too. And so we spent a lot of time with the community to get that feedback. But what we also found out is, you know, the product only lasted for six months. And the people that we worked with told us that what was, what's going to happen to us after the six months? Do we go back into the- And six months because of the product or because of the consumable items that you were attaching with? The, the product, the reusable product itself. Yeah. Just because of the materials that we used um, at the time. And so- Was it biodegradable then too? Yeah. So it was, it was biodegradable, but there were certain things like our buttons that we use that weren't like biodegradable. But yeah, it was like, I tried to incorporate that sustainability aspect from like the very beginning. And so we got that. And so they told me after the six months, what's going to happen. And I realized in reality, I actually create, contributed more to the problem than solving it because now they're dependent on an external, co- someone external to come and help them. You're creating like a, depend- a dependency syndrome. So it's actually harming more than helping, you know? And so. I went back to school and I'm like, okay, I definitely want to continue working on this. First thing I did was I started up a team. And so we were around seven to 10 people at the time. What we changed was, as I mentioned, the product. So we actually worked with a local community-based organization that employed women with disabilities. And they used to make their own products from before. And, and so we kind of partnered up with them and decided to come up with a product that combined both of our existing products and so now our product, as I mentioned, lasted three years, comes with all these different things. It has all these aspects that I didn't think about before. And that just shows the power, you know, of, especially when you're starting off of really working with the community and understanding their needs, right? And then what we also realize is in the, a lot of those schools that we were talking to, none of them had like that educational component. So none of them had like sex ed or learned about like periods and a lot of the programming that would be there would only be for the girls that would menstruate. And so the boys didn't know anything about any, about this. And in a lot of these communities, they usually end up being decision makers in their families. And so we heard a lot of cases where the family could afford, could afford the products, but because the dad is the one that, you know, gives out money in the house and there's a taboo, they would be so scared to ask their dad for the money. And so we would have to educate the, uh, the dads and the families, right, to also do that. And, and that starts from when they're at school. So that was, that's why we incorporated this, you know, educational workshops. So and, the, the workshops were like brought into schools, like when they exactly. were also educating adults at the same time. So depending on the community that we worked in, we would definitely have the schools that we would work in. The boys would learn that and would have programming for that. But in certain scenarios, we would have like town halls where we call all the parents and, and engage them too. And then lastly, we realized, okay, now our product lasts three years about what's going to happen after the three-year mark. And so what we do now is when we do give out the products, we go into community and then work with them as like an after-school programming to actually teach them how to make their own. 
products. Mm. And so well, the good thing about that is, you know, it's this whole idea of don't give a man a fish, but teach them how to fish, right? They would now have the skill to actually make their own products. And since all the materials are locally sourced wherever we have worked in, um, we know that after the three years, they can, you know, use local materials to get access to these products. And what we've also seen with that is it usually has an exponential effect, right? And so there's a group of like a thousand girls in a community. And if we just work with like 10 girls, those 10, what we've seen usually pass on that skill to 10 others and those 10 pass on to 10 others. And then eventually the whole community has access to this product. And in some situations, what we've also done is we've we have done workshops where they can actually use the skills to make more products and sell it in their communities so that they can earn a living out of it and create entrepreneurial opportunities for themselves. And so, yeah, now it's been like six years and it's definitely our team has grown to over 150 volunteers and we've worked with 20,000 menstruators in 10 countries. Uh, um, and it's honestly been such a journey and we hadn't perfected this model and it's definitely come over time. And even until today, we're learning and growing and trying to develop as, as we move forward. That's amazing. Congratulations on like the massive impact, huge milestones. There's so many things I just took away, like the first, which most people probably are, would even know if they picked it up, but we joked a little bit about how did you grade. At the end of the day, it's not about necessarily getting the highest grade. Yeah. It's actually the person with the most persistence. Yeah. And that's what got you through this. It was the persistence and desire to be curious and learn. And like when you speak about this space, which I know a little about, but what you can tell and take away is how much time and energy you spent with the individuals in the community yeah. to co-author solutions yeah. and to think purely about them at the core of this, where you're going to give them a product. Some people might rebuy that product, but you're not. You, there's education challenges, not just for the end user, but for others in the community. Yeah. And then when you do that, the reality is they might need more and they might not be able to buy it. So you've empowered them to go do this and create other roles. Like, it's so special how deep you've gotten on this problem. Generally, we talk about how you make money or how much it costs. Maybe just talk to us about how much I, it's a social enterprise. So yeah. I care less about how you make money. You're probably going to charge for the product. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about like what you've been able to get this product down to for what you sell. Yeah. And also like how do you, you said six years. That's like phenomenal, man, for a social enterprise where at the end of the day, the people might ha not have a lot of money. How are you keeping this rolling? Yeah. So in terms of our, I guess, how we, you know, sustain ourselves from a financial perspective. So on the cost side of things, we have three different packages. One is costs us $2 to make, one's $5 and one's $8. And the differences between the packages is mostly the number of items. And so the additional items that I talked about, but also the way our products work is, we have a pad base and then we have inserts. And so the number of pad bases are inserts. But when, in terms of the communities that we work in, we ne we've never sold the products to the communities because they can't afford it, right? And so in, from how we have been able to do, do this is when we started off and I was like 15 at the time. And so every time I'd reach out for donations or sponsors or work with corporates, I'd obviously get rejections. And so... I just started at my school, man. Like I, we used to have events every Friday and I went to a boarding school and shawarmas were very popular. And so what we would do is we would put up a stand, buy shawarmas for $2 and I just put in my own money and take that risk. 
and then sell them for three and make a dollar every shawarma. And every night we would sell, we would sell 300, 400 shawarmas at an event. And if you do the math, if it, let's say we do our $5 packages, 400 shawarmas would, would be able to help around 80 girls, right? From one, one week of selling shawarmas. And so we started off like that when we were super early. And um, as we started getting traction, one big source of revenue for us was like our corporate partnerships. In Kenya, we worked closely with one of the biggest banks in the country. And they, our first partnership was them, with them was they gave us a $12,500 grant. And the way we approached it was, although we were young and we weren't even registered as a charity at the time, um, but we somehow through connections got into, got into the room with them. And we, we try to pitch them what the benefit for them would be. And so since our packages would come in these bags, um, we were like, look, we will blast your logo on that bag and think about the fact that all over Kenya, there'll be girls going to schools with these bags and we show them the marketing value of that. And so we, they set up this sponsorship for us. And the day they announced our sponsorship, this is in 2020, right before COVID hit, they put out a press release saying that they're commi committing $500,000 to, to causes related to menstrual health for the next five years. And fortunately, we've been the only organizations that they've worked with. Um, and so we, we renewed that partnership after, and they are one of our long-term partners. And, and so that's been one of our biggest sources of, of support. And then obviously, there's, we still do events in schools, fundraisers, dinner galas, online crowdfunding. Weirdly, we've never really applied to major grants because um, it's really hard to access those in developing countries. It's not like you're in Canada. But yeah, that's that's been how we've been able to sustain ourselves. That's amazing, man. Like like true grit, hustle, dedication to this cause. Like selling $2 shawarmas for 3 bucks to impact 80 people a week. Like that is a grind and dedication. Good on you, man. And I'm so happy that, you know, you were able to kind of parlay that over time to this bigger component this this bank's mandate around this the journey six years is a long time do you have like maybe a most memorable either an enjoyable memorable or like a hardship or maybe both that you you sort of want to share yeah there have been a lot of moments like i think i'm trying to think of a lot but i think one that i'm really or a couple that i'm really proud of is We've been able, when we've been able to, you know, work in situations of, situations of hardship and crisis. I remember with the Ukraine crisis that happened, we were able to support the refugees at the time that were trying to escape to Poland. And so we partnered up with actually one of my favorite YouTube channels, Yes Theory. They were doing, they were supporting refugees on the ground and they put an outreach for menstrual products. And so we were able to, we, we had saved up admin costs that we never used because we never, we've never like paid ourselves. And I was like, dude, this crisis is happening. We want to support these people need the money on ground. And so we fully put all of our admin, administration costs that we had saved up over the years and sent that all on ground in Ukraine to support them. We did something similar with the Turkey earthquake recently, and we were able to support with that and. I think what, I, what I'm really proud of, of what we've been able to do as an organization is, you know, I've never been to Turkey. I've never been to Ukraine. Out of the 10 countries that we've worked in, I've only visited two of them. And 
but our impact has has reached there, right? And that just shows the power of, you know, collaboration, especially like in, in spaces where it's all, it's like social enterprise, I think. It's really powerful to to come together and do stuff together like that, I think. I also remember when, so I, rem- I remember I mentioned when we got that funding right before COVID and that was our, because we're all volunteers, student run, and we were all based out of my boarding school in Kenya. When COVID hit, it was lockdown and we all had to go back to our own countries. And so I received this huge amount of funding and I'm like, okay, what the hell do I do now? We were also getting way more requests um, for donations because, you know, a lot of these communities that would that we would support, they would get their products in schools, but now schools are closed and so they would all go to their homes. And so what I did for my room in, in my home country in Tanzania is I mapped out all the different organizations in the space in Kenya at the time. And I'm like, look, we have funding. Uh, our production partners are these women with disabilities that work full time to make these products. And so if we don't give them orders, they're not also going to get employment. So I asked them to take their machines back to their houses. They had materials and I told them, just make as many products as you can. I reached out to all these different organizations that had access to going on ground. And what we did was we sent all the products we made via bus to all these organizations. And they went door to door during COVID to distribute these products. And before COVID, our numbers were only 500. At the end of 2020, we had supported 8,500 people. And so we, you know, went 10x during COVID. And that was all the support of like, you know, all everyone coming together at that time. It's crazy, dude. The work you've been doing is unreal. Like the taking your administration funds, pouring it back into this business, dude, your heart is in this. It sounds like you've made no money, but have done massive things to drive massive impact over six years. You've got this amazing story of like becoming an entrepreneur. Like this is like, you felt so passionate. You know how they talk about people that are like entrepreneurial and then there's people that are like so passionate about a problem that they, it doesn't matter, turns them into an entrepreneur. And that's your story. This can't be the only thing you're doing now. I see like this grin in your face, this twinkle <laughs> in your eye. What else are you up to right now? Is it just for the menstruator? Obviously, it's still going. Yeah. But is that the only thing on your plate or are you up to some other new stuff that you can talk about? Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely been six years now. And I think this opened, you know, a lot of opportunity for me and really showed me like my passion for entrepreneurship, as you mentioned. Right. And so obviously on the side, I I my creative outlet is my podcast. I run a podcast called Leaders of Today, where our whole goal is to inspire young people that do want to start something to just go for it. And so we interview young people at different spaces, you know, artists, activists, entrepreneurs. Um, and I say it's a gift to my 15-year-old self. When I started off, it was really lonely and I'd never heard stories of people my age that were doing stuff. And so um, I do that as my creative outlet. But right now I'm working on a startup idea that addresses this issue of, you know, sustainable sources of funding for charities and donor retention. And so when I started as part of, you know, my work with For the Menstruate, I got an opportunity to work with a lot of charities. And I realized one, charities are spending, you know, most of their time trying to fundraise and less of their time being able to do the work that they're doing. And there's all of these issues around not having sustainable sources of funding around donor retention. Um, but what really, I guess, pissed me off a lot was the fact that there's a lack of innovation in, in the social impact space, right? Because um, 
charities and nonprofits don't have incentives to innovate. And so for me, obviously, I, I just finished my third year um, doing my business degree at UBC. And I've been able to, you know, learn a lot about entrepreneurship and, and business. And so I want to use my experiences and tie in that aspect of like, how do I create a platform that can create sustainable source of funding and retain donors using technology and innovating there. And so I mostly, it's been one month. I'm currently part of the next 36 program and I've been just spending my time trying to innovate there. Like social impact on steroids, my friend. <laughs> You're just killing it one time after another. Um, we'll bring you on separately to talk about that. Like, let's let it stew a little bit. You have a podcast to inspire the younger generation or maybe current people just thinking of taking the leap. You've obviously done it once, You're continuing to do it to drive things. What are like the uh, biggest takeaways from your first entrepreneurial journey to this entrepreneurial journey and you know, what are some of the, like the advantages, disadvantages, things you're learning along this that people should be like paying attention to and weaving into the things that they're thinking or doing themselves? Yeah, a lot for sure. I think the first main one, especially now that I'm starting this new venture is one of my favorite TED Talks says, want to help someone shut up and listen. And I think that's, you know, been such a big lesson for my first venture spending time with those communities and truly understanding their pain points. And so as I'm starting this, this new venture, I've just been spending so much time truly just listening to, to our potential customers, right? And, and figuring out what their pain points are. I feel like a lot of the times entrepreneurs come up with an idea and, and think that's the best solution. And they're so obsessed with the idea and not the problem. And so I think spending the time to truly understand the problem and and not having the rush of like, I guess, trying to make money or, or, or trying to do a hustle. I think being obsessed with the problem and figuring out what it, what it is there. And so literally with this new venture, like I'm pivoting every day with my idea because I'm finding out that the problem is something completely different. And so going through that process of you find a problem, come up with a, a ton of hypotheses, create an MVP and then experiment and go through that whole journey until you eventually, you know, find product market fit or have someone that's actually willing to pay for your product and being patient with it. I think it's, it's also a tough one, especially as like young entrepreneurs, you know, we see on social media, people just blowing up and starting up companies. But honestly, entrepreneurship is thinking of it as like a long, long-term game and really being in there um, for the right reasons. Right. And I think Every day I, with this new venture, since it's also has a social impact component, people tell me every day, there's no money in this space, man. And why are you doing this? Right. I just find a different problem to solve for. But I think for me, just reconnecting me with my why and, and, and thinking about why is it that I started this in the first place and went on this journey. Right. I think it has been a big one. So important. The connecting with the why, the shutting up and listen, the focusing on you know, truly solving the problem, not just rushing to market with your own conclusions. Really good, sound advice. We've covered so much. Wow. Dude, I, I, we're definitely going to leave ways for people to follow your journey on For the Menstruator, but I, I definitely think people are going to want to follow you and your journey. You're just so inspiring to like hear what you're up to. I'm sure a bunch of people are going to want to help 
support these causes and learn more from you. Where can people find out more about For the Menstruator? We'll link these things too, but where can people find out more about For the Menstruator or find out more about the things you're up to or your podcast? Like just shamelessly plug yourself in and just, you've earned it. Yeah. So For the Menstruator, you can just search us up on any social media ads For the Menstruator. Leaders of Today pod is our handles for the podcast. And then lastly, my personal one is at CNVG on all platforms. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm someone that as, as part of this journey, there's been so many people that have, you know, supported me and, and helped me get to the next level. And, and so I also just spend a lot of time trying to mentor other folks. And so if anyone has any questions or is just looking to find someone that can be a soundboard, I'd love to, you know, chat and help out. And, and once again, I appreciate you, you know, giving me this platform. I haven't done anything, man. I've tried to shut up and listen. I've been itching to ask more questions, but I've been trying to listen. Thank you for teaching me about something I know very little about. Thank you for teaching me about your inspiring journey and so many words of like wisdom that I think others can take in. Any closing like thoughts or final words on your side, Zian, and that, that you want people to hear and take away? Yeah, I know for sure. I I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, one of my favorite quotes says, the energy is in the purpose, not the plan. And so before you start off anything, really take the time to be intentional about that why and that purpose. Because no matter what you end up doing, right? Like even if it's a shit show, even if it's like the best idea in the world, if you don't know the why of what you're doing, it, it's it's going to be tough and it's going to be hard to be anchored. And so... I recommend people checking out this concept of Ikigai that has been so tremendous to my life to figure out what their why is. And then second thing, just talking about the concept of my podcast, we, our whole thing is, you know, as young people, we're not only leaders of tomorrow, we're leaders of today. And my grade three teacher used to tell me when I used to submit my homework late and say I'd submit it tomorrow, she would say tomorrow never comes. And so if you have an idea, if you... Uh, have an itch to start something. If you want to just do something, don't wait for tomorrow, just start today. Because truly tomorrow never comes. And and the best way to do something is, is to start now. Amazingly inspiring words to close out. Again, Zian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you everyone who tuned in and stuck through this inspiring journey. I hope you learned as much as I did about a topic you might not have thought you would discuss on a podcast. Zian, again, thank you for sharing the time with us today. Everyone, catch you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca and make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.